Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media evergreen podcast and killer podcast production. From ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. has been found in Oak Beach, and police believe there may be other bodies out there. Yeah, and Liz, this is the barrier island to the south of the town of Babylon, an extensive search that goes on for a good mile along the bay here south of the town of Babylon. You could see crime scene investigators there, and then, Tony, if you want to come back out, you could see behind me, and then clear up the beach right here. Uh, there are multiple outposts here where they're right now sifting through the sand and looking for human remains. We know right now that they can confirm in the last couple of days they have found two bodies. We believe skeletal remains, one on Saturday, one today, and we're told possibly more. Right now, based on uh, you know the common denominators, uh, the similarities of the victims, where they were dumped, the dismemberment, uh, you know, it looks like one person. Uh, yeah, and the fact that Manorville uh, remains that were found in 2000 and 2003 are now connected to remains found years later at off Ocean Parkway. And the two legs found off Davis Park in 96, which is 15 years ago, connected to remains found off Ocean Parkway. Uh, you know, again, that leads to the theory that it's one person using this area as a dumping ground and dismembering the bodies so that the police could not identify them if they were found. When the Asian male was found, uh, you know, that was unusual. We thought that was, uh, you know, out of the ordinary, a male with all the females. But then he was wearing women's clothes. He was of slight build, possibly involved in the sex trade. That's the theory. Uh, then the toddler, of course, was another issue that didn't fit the pattern. But the toddler, through DNA, later was connected to a female remains found seven miles away, uh, across the line into Nassau County. Was, is she involved in the uh, sex business? Maybe. We're assuming that she was. And uh, people in the business and people that have... Uh, you know, are very familiar with the prostitution business, tell us that, uh, you know, a sex worker will bring a youngster with them sometimes when they meet a client. This case is not cold. Uh, you know, I don't like that term uh, because it indicates that we've given up on it and that it's put in a file drawer someplace. Uh, not true. Uh, the detectives uh, in our forensics unit and the homicide squad are still working diligently on leads that we uh, received after the last press conference. We do know that this person uh, is organized, is methodical in what they do, rather than a disorganized uh, killer. Uh, you know, but uh, again, there's all sorts of theories about what kind of person this, uh, this killer is. And I tell people all the time that uh, when we do catch the person, everybody will be surprised. 
We have some breaking news. CBS News has confirmed police have a suspect in custody linked to New York's 2010 infamous Gilgo Beach murders. Authorities were reportedly on the scene earlier today at First Avenue and Massapequa Park. On December 11th, 2010, the first of what ended up being a total of 10 bodies was found. So we're going to have more information as we get it on this developing story. Uh, police departments, homicide detectives, and he's been indicted uh, in a grand jury present, uh, presentation by the, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office uh, for the murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. Uh, the, the investigation of Maureen Brainerd Barnes is ongoing. Uh, these young women went missing between July of 2007 and September of 2010. They were found in De uh, December of 2010 by the Suffolk County Police Department, and then there was nothing, absolutely nothing. For, their ne for the next 13 years, their cases went unsolved until today. Uh, when I took office in January of 2022, I made... Uh, Gilgo a priority. I made Gilgo a priority before I took office. I met uh, with the victims' families, uh, some of whom I'm proud to have standing with us today, and I told them that we were going to handle this case differently. We were going to do it differently, and that when I showed up, you weren't going to see me calling the media and being on Gilgo Beach with a giant uh, um, magnifying lens, looking for clues 12 years after the case. What I was going to do was I was going to work with my task force. We were going to form a task force. We were going to work with the Suffolk County Police Department. We were going to work with the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office. We we're going to work with the New York State uh, Police. We we're going to work with our FBI. And we were going to form this task force and we were going to work together and we were going to, we were going to use the grand jury, the power of the grand jury to, to, to reach a determination in this case. Because the grand jury has two things. It has power, it has reach. You can obtain documents, you could interview witnesses. But the other thing that the grand jury has, the grand jury has secrecy. No one knows what you do when you operate a grand jury proceeding. And we knew that when we were investigating this case and it, when we dealt with the media or whatever it was we were doing, um, we, were, we were playing uh, before a party of one because we knew uh, the person responsible for these murders would be looking at us. So we were very careful uh, how we, we, we handled the investigation. We maintained the integrity of the investigation. Uh, most, important, uh, most importantly of all, we maintained the secrecy uh, of that investigation. And I think that's, uh, that's paid dividends uh, as we've seen today. Now, um, I, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, when we had the, uh, the task force, uh, the first thing we did, got together with uh, um, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison, uh, and we formed the task force. Our first meeting uh, was February, February 1st of 2022. Uh, and what we did, what all of the agencies here, we made the commitment. We were going to take our talented, our most talented investigators. So in the district attorney's office, we took uh, uh, ADAs, myself included. We took analysts. We took detective investigators. And they worked on a daily basis with other talented investigators from all of the agencies here. 
Um, and uh, we started that in February 1st in 2022. Six weeks later, on March 14th, 2022, the name Rex Hurman was first mentioned as a suspect uh, in the Gilgo case. A New York State uh, investigator was able to, uh, to um, identify him in a database. Uh, and from that point on, we used the power of the grand jury, over 300 subpoenas and search warrants, uh, looking into this, this individual's background to bring us to this day. So I'm, I am, uh, I'm proud, I, I know that this case is over, but I'm proud of what we've accomplished up to this point. I know we have more to accomplish, but I'm also uh, thankful, thankful for the partnership uh, of, of the task force, because certainly without the participation of the task force, we wouldn't be standing here. Um, you know, before I, I, you know, I thank some, some folks and, and turn it over to, uh, to uh, our, our partners, I just want to talk a little bit about the, the evidence in the case. Uh, I know uh, a lot of people know about the case. As I indicated, uh, the, uh, the victims went missing between July of 2010 in September, uh, I'm sorry, July of 2007 and uh, September of 2010. Uh, and uh, in December of 2010, they were, uh, the, their, their bodies were recovered. Uh, they were buried in a similar fashion, in a similar location, um, uh, in, a, in a similar way. Uh, all the women were petite. Uh, they were, um, they, they all did the same thing for a living. Uh, they all advertised the same way. Uh, and there were uh, immediately there were similarities with regard uh, to the to the uh, the crime scenes. Uh, all the women's all the women were bound at the head, uh, at the midsection, uh, uh, or at the chest, and later at the legs. Um, the other thing I think that that um, uh, was was uh, that's been talked about in the uh, in the media was they were bound by um, burlap. Uh, media, uh, that has taken a life of its own in the media, and the burlap has, has been described or thought to be uh, the burlap that's used at a nursery. For, uh, that's not the burlap that was used in this case. The burlap is, it was camouflage burlap uh, used for duck blinds of hunting. Um, uh, so uh, obviously it, it, it was used to hide, uh, purposely hide the bodies. Um, one thing that became immediately apparent uh, th was at the time of the, uh, each of the murders, uh, the murderer, the, the defendant, Hurman, uh, he got a, a, uh, he got a, a cell phone uh, and a burner phone, which, uh, which is prepaid and anonymous. And for each of the murders, he got an individual burner phone, and he used that to communicate with the victims. Uh, then shortly after uh, the death of the victims, uh, he then would, uh, would get rid of the burner phone. Uh, and uh, right away in December of 2012, uh, FBI uh, cast analysts, uh, special agents with the cast unit of the FBI, they immediately began looking at that cell site uh, uh, data. They compared the victims' phones with, uh, with the burner phones, and they immediately uh, honed in on some, some sim similarities specifically uh, in the Massapequa Park area. And they looked at the, an area of a confluence of four cell towers. Uh, and they realized that this was, had uh, significance because uh, the, the uh, perp perpetrator of these crimes was probably located within this area uh, during, at or around the times of the murderer. 
Uh, and that was mapped out. That was called the box. And it was an area uh, in Massapequa Park. Uh, the FBI also managed to do that for an area in mid Midtown Manhattan. Um, and so that was, that was an investigative lead. The other uh, investigative lead at the time was even though there, there was a significant amount of time that elapsed with regard to uh, before the, 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 uh, the victims were recovered, there was some, uh, some significant evidence recovered. Uh, specifically, there was a uh, um, hair recovered from Maureen uh, Brainerd Barnes from a belt buckle that was around her legs. Uh, there, uh, with regard to Megan Waterman, uh, there were three hairs recovered. Um, uh, from, from her, uh, one uh, from around her head area, one from around her, her, her leg area in the burlap, and then there was one caught in between the tape. Uh, and uh, that was recovered. Uh, Amber Costello also had a hair, a significant hair that was recovered uh, during the time, uh, during the, the time of the recovery. But uh, again, uh, the crime scene, because it w was out there for so long and because uh, it was exposed to the elements, uh, those hairs were degraded, so you couldn't use traditional DNA um, analysis on it. You would, uh, you would have to wait uh, and use mitochondrial DNA. And back in uh, 2010, the technology wasn't there for mitochondrial DNA. So the investigation proceeded, but also technology proceeded as well. Uh, and then in January and February of 2022, we've, we formed the task force. We began working uh, collectively, uh, and then a mere six weeks later, on March 14, 2022, Rex Yerman was identified for the first time. Uh, and the manner in which that was done was uh, the New York State investigator looked at a database. Uh, Amber Costello, the day before her uh, disappearance on September 1st, uh, 2010, uh, she uh, uh, con uh, she um, met with an, an individual for the purposes of, of having him pay her money uh, for, for her services. Um, but she, uh, she, would involve, she involved herself in a ruse where once the, the individual gave her, uh, gave her money, and, uh, uh, other individuals came into the, the house, pretended to be a significant others, confronted the individual, uh, with the purpose of, of making that individual uncomfortable, having him leave without retrieving his money. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so uh, that individual was identified as a person who was between 6'4", 6'6", uh, a, a large man, thickly built, not necessarily overly muscular, but just a naturally uh, big person with glasses, white, uh, and, and dark hair. Uh, also of significance was... Um, that the fact that he was driving a dark-colored or black uh, av uh, uh, first uh, first-generation uh, Chevrolet Avalanche with a, a, a very uh, unique feature that was between the, the it's a pickup truck so it was between the cab and the bed uh, and that was identified again that was back uh, in uh, 2010 uh, but it, w it wasn't until uh, March of of, of 2022. Uh, that that database uh, was by, was was dis was searched uh, by the the task force, uh, and this individual uh, uh, was was identified. Uh, that uh, that individual was uh, Rex Hurman, the defendant. Uh, and right away, there were some commonalities that came right to the fore. Rex Hurman, six four, 
largely uh, a large person, not necessarily uh, muscular, but a, a very uh, physically large person. Uh, he has glasses. Uh, he has he has that the dark hair, and also a particular note. He owned at the time that first generation Chevy Avalanche. Uh, but there was more. Uh, he lived at 105 First Avenue, which was located within that box area that the FBI first uh, discovered in, in 2012. Uh, but there was more. Uh, also, he worked at the time at an architect, as an, uh, he owned his own architectural firm uh, at an address at 19 West 36th Street in Mid Midtown Manhattan. And that was also the area of interest that was identified by the FBI in 2012. Uh, again, that was March 14, uh, 2022. Uh, and from that point on, our, our partners and uh, my office, we used the grand jury to continue to investigate. And we executed over 300 subpoenas, search warrants pertaining to this individual to find out more information. Uh, one of the things that we did is we followed him because we wanted to get an abandonment sample of his DNA, uh, which we were able to do. Uh, we also got uh, DNA samples, abandonment samples from his family. And then we went back and we got mitochondrial DNA testing. And with regard to, um, you know, and, you know, uh, there's, an, there's a, uh, an aspect of New York State law that doesn't allow me to talk about uh, DNA testing. Uh, specifically at press conferences. It's, um, so I can't do that. However, at the, um, at the uh, uh, arraignment uh, and also when we filed our bail letter, we talked about the significance of that uh, evidence. So if anyone needs to see that, but, but uh, suffice to say, uh, that evidence was significant, uh, especially with regard to uh, the other evidence that we had developed. But it was, uh, there was, uh, another interesting aspect, we looked at the Yerman family uh, travel records, and we learned that during the murders of uh, the last three women, um, Bartholome, Waterman, and Costello, that during the commission of those murders, the, the, uh, the defendant's wife and children were, at, were out of New York State, and he was alone in the tri-state area. Uh, we also went back and looked at his cell site records, and we, were, we, we compared his personal cell site records with that of the four target phones, and we saw that there was areas of commonality. In other words, that whenever the, the target phones would, uh, would, would bounce off a cell tower, if, if the uh, Yerman uh, personal phone uh, bounced off a, a, a tower, it was always consistent and in close proximity uh, with the target phones. And at no time was there ever an instant where those target phones were, for instance, in New Jersey while uh, the defendant was, was on Long Island. Uh, so that was completely um, uh, consistent. The other thing that we looked at was uh, we looked at his use of burner phones uh, and we, we followed using the grand jury, using the great investigative help from our partners. We followed his use of burner phones. We were able to uh, identify seven separate burner phones that he used. We were able to use fictitious uh, or fraudulent email addresses and get Google warrants. And from there, we got his searches. Uh, and we learned uh, what, we, what, uh, the what the defendant was searching. 
Uh, in a 14-month period, he had over 200 searches pertaining to uh, the Gilgo investigation. Uh, not only were those, uh, was he looking at uh, in investigative insight, uh, he was looking, trying to figure out how is the task force using cell phones to try to figure out what's happening. What are the developments with regard to the task force? And this, uh, this really um, um, supported our decision to keep our investigative um, focus secret because we knew that this one person would be watching and we didn't want to give him uh, any insight into what we were doing and we also didn't want him to know just how close we were getting. Uh, so we maintain the, the, the grand jury secrecy and we maintain the integrity of our investigation. Uh, in addition to those, those uh, um, uh, Gilgo searches, he was searching, compulsively searching pictures of the victims, but not only pictures of the victims, pictures of their, uh, their uh, relatives, their, their, their sisters, uh, their children, uh, and he was trying to locate those individuals. Uh, in addition to that, there was a, a lot of uh, torture, uh, porn, and, and uh, um, what you would consider, uh, you know, uh, um, depictions of women uh, being abused, uh, being raped, and being killed. Um, in addition to all of that, uh, we continued to look uh, and uh, we uh, were able to uh, determine uh, that that Chevy Avalanche that was used during the commission of the Amber Costello crime, uh, that Chevy Avalanche was in South Carolina. And again, with the help of our uh, partners, uh, we were able to capture, uh, we were able to seize that uh, uh, Chevy Avalanche pursuant to a search warrant and we're certainly going to analyze that. In addition to that, uh, pursuant to the arrest of the defendant last night by the Suffolk County uh, Police Department, we, we obtained one of his burner phones, his last burner phones. Uh, the investigate, as I said, the, this case is not over, it's only beginning. We're continuing to execute search warrants and we anticipate getting more evidence. Uh, before I, I turn it over to my partners, I, I, I want to I want to thank a lot of people in the room. First and foremost, I want to thank the victims in this case. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Who Killed? If you do enjoy this episode or this show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I will be dropping new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, and if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I've covered as well as the new shows I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Thank you guys so much again for listening, and until next time, be safe. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. 
My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.